Welcome to the Prog Talks by the Prog Space. Welcome to the Prog Talks, an interview series by the Prog Space where we will be talking to musicians in all corners of the progressive music scene. Welcome back to another episode of the Proc Talks. I'm your host, Dario. And uh, before we jump in uh, with today's, tonight's, um, this episode's guest, um, as always, uh, thanks for tuning in. We hope you like what we do. And uh, don't f forget to like, subscribe, comment, and uh, give us a thumbs up. Uh, get us a cup of tea. It's still hot. Um, well, with that out of the way, as you can see, um, Today, I have the pleasure to talk uh, with uh, the wonderful Vikram Shankar. Uh, hi, Vikram. How are you doing? Hey, man. I am doing good. It is a wild day in Silent Skies land, but <laughs> I'm alive. It is the eve before the second album drops, um, right? Nectar is out tomorrow as we record this on February 4th on Napalm Records. And that is one of the pri primary reasons for this call. Um, before we jump into that, I wanted to ask you, um, I mean, you are really busy in so many fronts um and so many in so many involved in so many projects um that it's sometimes it's hard to keep up um, yeah same for me man <laughs> like i sit down in the studio morning okay what am i doing today i have no idea am i making orchestral music am i making pop i don't know It's all the same. Um, what, what, so so uh, what did you do last year? I, I think that there was not a release from a um, project that you, like one of your main projects last year, yeah, but yeah, there correct. was still some music coming out with your involvement. Um, one that I know of uh, for sure is that you contributed to uh, the solo album, the solo debut of Ross Jennings from Haken, is that right? Yes, indeed, yeah. So any, anything else that we might have missed from last year? Let me go on my website. <laughs> honestly, man, I, I have no idea. I, I really don't. It's, it, and the, the frustrating thing is I'll do projects like sometimes several years before they end up being released. So it's like you, so you I, could say, for instance, on this note, hey, you, you've guested on the Others by No One album that came out last year, which is true. But I did that like three years ago. So it's like, oh, old news. But no, that that was a really fun album that I was a part of. Um, yeah, that's right. That others by one. others by no one. I can I can uh, say right now because the the interview is coming out uh, after uh, we have uh, everything announced. Others by no one's uh, book two, where stories come from, is nominated for a Proxpace Award, and you can uh, vote for it. Um, so yeah, please go do. do that. <laughs> and Ross, yeah, Ross, no. Ross I, Jennings, uh, Shadow of a, of a Future of My Future Self, is also nominated for a. Um, well, I had uh, a good year. It appears uh, for a Proc Space uh, Award uh, Award, and um, I have to admit, you are uh, uh, interestingly you are not um, nominated. Uh, But that the the simple you can't the, win them all. It's all good. <laughs> the the simple reason for that is that I tend to um you know um check check the um, 
you know, the, the main um, musicians of the albums that came out and, and you were like, in all of these projects, you were like a guest musician, you know? So, but that's going to change for this year because um, as we just uh, already established, um, the second Silent Skies album is about to drop and not, uh, not, uh, that far into the future there's going to be another album by your band uh, threads of fate uh, debut full-length album if i saw it correctly yes indeed that the comes out in embrace of light sorry cold embrace of the light it comes out mid-march on layered reality layered reality productions that's it. yes um so so th there's at least two um main project releases from you this uh, year Let's start with Silent Skies, uh, second full-length album. It is, of course, your um, your, your project um, or your band together with uh, the wonderful Tom Englund of Evergrey uh, uh, with his wonderful timbre and beautiful voice. First album, Satellites, uh, was uh, two years ago, right? Um, year and two months, yeah. So in 2020, um, not so long ago, you've been quite quick with the follow-up. Um, was there anything different this time or did you just continue like you, do, like you did with, uh, with satellites? Um, uh, well, actually hugely different. Um, and it may not sound that way, but, but it was a huge, hugely different process because um, first of all, on satellites, we had no idea what Silent Skies was aside from very basic parameters we knew that we were a group making piano and vocal music that had some kind of cinematic thing going on and we didn't know what that meant and so we took two years to figure out what it meant and that's what satellites is is us figuring out what it means to be silent skies nectar we we knew what silent skies was and so with that foundation we were able to take a lot more chances and push things in different directions that we didn't on the first album because the first album we're still kind of getting our feet wet and learning what what it meant to work with each other and the kind of dynamics that go on with that nectar we just dove in we spent three months pretty much every single day on zoom now, zoom really became our best friend last year and we we were writing and recording and producing together in real time on zoom and wow. And so in, it took a year and a half to two years to make satellites and three months to write, record and produce Nectar. And it was a very organic, intuitive process. I mean, I think you can hear the, not the ease of creating because it wasn't easy, but, but, but it was, you know, not even less contrived. I, I don't know how to put it. It's just like, it just happened in a, in a much more fluid manner than the first album. And I think you can hear that in the, final product yeah i i had the the pleasure of listening uh to it a couple of times the promo stream and um i also had the feeling i was uh thinking it is very very beautiful and um quite um a different challenge i guess to create music as opposed to you know, complex, elaborate, long prog songs with these relatively minimalistic um, setups um, as far as uh, the, the the arrangement, but also like the song structure goes, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it. a lot of people say this, and I think maybe some people roll their eyes when they hear like, oh, it's, it's hard to write a simple song. It's like, oh, is it really? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it actually is very difficult to write a very good, short, relatively simple song that still, you know, has some dynamism and it still has some ebbs and flows and there are contrasts still, and, but you're doing it in, in a tighter package. And what that means is that everything has to count a lot more. I think you can get away with a lot when you're writing a 10 minute song and you can afford to have seven sections that have very little to do with each other put together. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a really cool thing. I like songs like that, but at the same time, if you're picking three sections and they have to work in three and a half minutes and they have to be cohesive, but still, as I said, have some dynamism, that that's a very difficult thing to do. And then add to that, the fact that our chosen arrangement format, at least for this album and the last album is pretty stripped back. And there's not a lot of room to hide under, say, a wall of distorted guitars or double kick drums or something. You know, there's very little room to hide. Everything has to be perfect or as perfect as we can get it. So it ends up being quite laborious and kind of agonizing the level of detail that we go through for one song on the album closer in particular, 14, 15 different versions of that song we went through, just constantly messing with the most minute things and adding more and more and more and then deleting all of it. And then it's like, why do we do that in the first place? Well, we did it because the journey is part of, you know, the process and you have to go through that process of exploration to land upon something that you're really happy with. So yeah, it was, it was hard, man. I mean, it, it, it's not easy to make this kind of music. Honestly, you know, the metal records that I've written are, are usually a lot more painless to go through, to write and record and produce as well. Yeah, I guess you, you, um, you're also, um, hinting at the emotional weight, um, that goes into, yeah. into these compositions. Um, so when you write music together with Tom, um, how do you start a song? Is it, does it, uh, like begin, is it beginning with, with a, with a, with a mood, with a, with a, with an emotion or with a, with a, tiny musical snippet melody whatever that oh, it's, it's the same thing because it's like uh, if i conceive of a musical sketch or if tom conceives of a musical sketch because he does that well he's a he's a great musician as well as being a great singer so if he comes up with a musical sketch or some piano parts or something or if i do the what's going on there is that there is some kind of vibe or atmosphere And oftentimes the sketches are not that elaborate because the whole point of them is to set an atmosphere and to set a tone. And we see how it speaks to us. And, and very often if I'm writing something, it's coming from some sort of emotional reflective state that maybe I'm not fully cognizant of, but it's expressing itself through the notes that I was compelled to put together on, on that given day. And so what happens is Tom and I, we listen And we kind of reflect on what we have. I know Tom, he'll put the music on his iPhone and he'll go on these like really long nature walks and you'll just listen to it over and over and he'll see what are we feeling with this? First of all, are we feeling, is it, is it good or bad? And sometimes something doesn't motivate us and we cast it aside. But if it's, if it's moving us, what's it speaking to? What's it trying to say? And the entire songwriting process from that point onward is almost like, like excavation. It's like 
figuring out what's there. What do we have? And you, you know, we're discovering the song as we write it and we're kind of helping the song come to fruition as if the song was like a child and we're its parents and we're kind of, you know, watching it grow and, and parents have an active role in the development of their child. But at the same time, your child is your own independent entity at the end of the day who forms their own, you know, identities. And we kind of see songs or at least I see songs in a very similar way. It's like we're helping the songs find their identity and trying to give it the, the, um, the proper like wisdom or whatever to, to help the song find that identity. And so you have to respect its process and you have to respect what the song is wanting and what the song is not wanting. And, and so it becomes a kind of weird process of like, trusting your gut beyond anything else. And, and you almost turn your brain off and you just listen. And it's like, you know, what's actually happening here? What's the song asking for? And this has the potential to turn into a very kind of stupid process where like, you feel like you're never done. But the, the beautiful thing is that Tom and I both have a good sense of when a song is done because it's like watching a child grow up. And then at a certain point they're grown up. And we view our songs that way too. It's like the song has grown up at a certain point and there's no further nurturing you have to do to it. It's ready. So it's like a super intuitive and peculiar process. So, well, that was uh, very deep. There you go. <laughs> something to sleep on or something. I think, I think we can wrap, we, we can wrap this up. That was enough uh, food right. for thought for nice, this. Nice talking to you, man. Talk to you in a couple of months. Um, now, now I lost my question. Did I? Um, so yeah, what, what happens uh, with your children tomorrow is, uh, is, are they gonna leave the house or did that happen when you, when you sent to the masters to the label? It's, it's funny because, because they leave the house, but you know, just like when a kid grows up and they leave the house, you still have some element of connection with them and, and you still, you know, take pride in their accomplishments as they go out into the world. And, and it's the same thing with the songs. It's like, you feel like a, a proud papa every time you get that review and it's like, oh, you know, they, they did a good job raising their kids. You know, it's, it's that kind of feeling, but at the same time, it's like, we're not making it anymore. You know, we're not taking that active role in its fruition that, that we did this time last year. So it's strange. It's like, it's like you don't really have as much control over it as you did a year ago. It, it kind of has to, you know, it's going to do what it's going to do. And if people love it, hopefully, or if people hate it, you know, it's kind of like you, you did your best. And, and that I, I, I use a lot of parenting analogies, but I'm not a parent, but it's like, I, I imagine that parents often feel the same way. It's like, you know, all you can do is do your best. And at a certain point, your child is going to make decisions. And sometimes, you know, it's going to be a resounding success and sometimes it's not, but you know, all you can do is do your best. And, and that's what helps with the kind of artistic agony of like, you put so much of yourself, so much of your personality and your emotions and your states of mind into the music you make. And then it's very hard to have that distance to, you know, develop a thick skin and not get personally offended with someone called your child fat or something like that. But it's like, you know, you, you, you can't take it that personally at the end of the day. 
If you are enjoying this interview, please head over to theprogspace.com for more reviews, articles, pictures and interviews all about progressive music. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. theprogspace.com Uh, it, it just uh, said a word that reminded me of a song from Satellites, and that was uh, Distance, of course, uh, which was a reworking of, uh, of an Evergrey song, right? Yeah. And there was also on Satellites, there was, of course, the cover of Here Comes the Rain Again. Sure. Um, so on Nectar, it's all new compositions. Uh, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. All original. All original and all new. So you just told us, um, yeah, how you were working together over Zoom for three months uh, together with Tom. Two two songs are already out as singles as we as we are speaking right now, and uh, the first one was Temper a uh, Taper, sorry, um, and the second one was Leaving with a like with a very special video clip and. Yeah. Uh, for once, you can see in this video clip that it looks like uh, uh, you and Tom were in the same we landscape. Were, yeah. <laughs> you were <laughs> like uh, not oceans apart. Yeah, yeah, it, it was about time. It is really weird because as we were trying to coordinate, first of all, whether we were going to do a shoot together, and then when it became apparent that we kind of had to, then... You know, the timing was really delicate because I was going over to Sweden in a time when it felt like every single day I opened up the the embassy website and there would be a different declaration about people can come in, people can't come in. They need this requirement. Now they need that requirement. And I'm fortunate to be, you know, as, as vaxxed up as one can get. And it's like, OK, I have those boxes checked. But then, you know, that's not necessarily a golden ticket to being able to travel abroad. So even whether we were going to do the shoot, I booked that ticket a week and a half before I went over, which I've never booked in a trip to Europe that last minute. And then it's like up until the last day, I was thinking, oh, man, maybe it's not going to happen. And to make matters worse, Nick from Redemption was flying to Stockholm for business and also to see Evergrey was playing a show in Stockholm. And he never even made it over to Sweden. He was stuck in London and then they sent him back. So, and this was happening a few days before I traveled to Europe. So I was like, is this, you know, am I going to have the same fate? Are we not going to be able to do this shoot? We have one chance to make this thing happen. So very, very nerve wracking. And so when we were actually together, it's like, wow, I, I can't believe we're, we're here again. And I hadn't seen him in person in like two years. So that was also weird. And then you set the grand piano on fire. Or who As one did does, it? Yes. <laughs> what was that? Or who? Or who? Who set it on fire? <laughs> it was a collaborative effort. I, I. It was a collaborative effort. There was a lot of throwing of lighter fluid, and honestly, a quite a harrowing process. I don't think I really realized in the moment just how harrowing it was, because I got a little, you know. There's a lot of adrenaline that goes on when you're playing a burning instrument. I don't know how many people can relate to that sentiment, but trust me, there's a lot of adrenaline involved when you play an instrument that is on fire. So I wasn't really thinking about 
what if this spark lingers too long? You know, something like that. Because there were sparks. I was, you yeah. know, while playing, especially in the standing shots, I'm brushing sparks off of my jacket like all the time. And what if a spark is on my stupid hat that has a nice little platform to catch sparks? Great. So I'm like swiping at my hat, you know, and, and, and then I watched it after the fact. And I was like, this could have gone so badly because because we, we did it in one take. You can't unburn a piano. So we so we did it in, in one take. What what happens happens. And it's not rehearsed for the same reason. You can't unburn a piano. So we burned it and we had no idea what was going to happen. Things could have just started flying out. I mean, I. I was playing and then I was hearing these wow sounds as strings snapped from the heat and it is so gnarly. And and then you see the shot in the, that was captured on video where where the lid starts to buckle. What if that had fallen while I was sitting and sparks had gone flying in my face like that could have been horrible. But did you know what you signed up for when you went to Sweden? <laughs> in a where, sense. Where? I mean, I knew that we were going to be burning a piano. First of all, I didn't know it was a grand piano. I, I had no idea. I thought it was, it was a crappy piano. I want to be clear about this. I don't believe in burning instruments that still have musical life to offer. I actually feel quite strongly about this. So it was a piano bound for the trash heap. But I, I expected it to be a crappier piano bound for the trash heap. Like maybe an upright that had pieces missing or something. Like I didn't expect it to be this, this beautiful grand piano that apparently was made by like one of the finest Swedish piano makers. There's like ties to, to Royal Swedish royalty in that piano lineage. And I'm guessing a hundred years ago, it must've been a really awe inspiring instrument. Now it's, you know, the shell, but all that's left is, is the metal frame that's inside all the pianos. So somewhere there's just a metal frame sitting around. Now, 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 now it's still awe inspiring, um, but on YouTube. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and our thinking was a lot more people are going to get some art out of this. If we do it this way, than if it goes in the trash heap and no one gets to enjoy it, it's like, you know, we view it as like, like a Viking funeral sort of thing. Blaze of glory. Yes. Um, so of course, uh, you and Tom are on the album. Is there anyone else uh, involved as a guest musician? Raphael Weinroth Brown, yes. Mr. Mr. Leprous, yes. <laughs> um, maybe he's not officially in Leprous, right? No. Mr. Mux, Muskox, we'll say that. <laughs> he, he's amazing, whatever he is. M Mr. Almost official in Leprous. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. He he has a very special involvement on this album. He played it on their last album and. On the last album, I'd say 95% of what you hear, I wrote out PDF charts and I sent it to him and he played it and he played it note for note, but with characteristic Raphael musicality because he's a composer as well as a performer. So he understands these things and I don't have to write every little phrasing detail. He He's enough of a musician to know how to turn what I write into something really expressive. On this album, I wrote 65 Well, a very scientifically calculated number. 65% of all the cello parts. And those are especially the, the really prominent melodies. Like for instance, Leaving has the section in the middle with a very expressive, simple, but expressive melody. And I wrote that out. But 
everything else I, I said, Hey man, take some passes through the song, screw around, add some textures, experiment, see what happens. And he recorded a lot of these kind of drones, these evolving textures that already sounded super haunting. And then I would just throw them through distortion and, and all these wild things in, in logic and came up with, you'd never guess there were cello parts anymore. There's one part on the song, the one, if you listen on headphones, it sounds like a Nashville slide guitar player or a lap steel guy wandered into the studio, but it's Raphael playing some part that I completely butchered. And these kind of sonic touches were, were really special because Tom said to me at some point when Raphael was just getting started, he said, Raphael plays really beautifully. I want him to play kind of ugly, like make something a little nasty that, that some grittiness that, you know, I mean, Raphael is a classically trained player, but he understands grit as well. So I asked him, can you make things a little less pretty? And he said, yeah, man, I, I gotcha. <laughs> and he did these, these really gnarly sounding things that, that are just, I mean, I love them. It's one of my favorite parts of the album to put on the headphones and just listen closely for the little weird things going on that Raphael is conjuring. So he, he added to the atmosphere of the album in a way that people may not even appreciate if they don't know they're listening to a cello. Wow, that's super interesting for me as a cello player as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, right on. <laughs> I mean, I... I on the, I did some video for Napalm going into the, the logic session of leaving and I listened to some of Raphael's parts that you listen to and you would have just thought it was like a synth pad or something, but it's actually some cello parts and maybe I, I cut them around or stretched out notes or something and threw like eight inserts of plugins and logic and just turned it into something that sounds ungodly. But I love that. So much more fun than just having the cello sound like a cello. I mean, I love the cello. It's one of my favorite instruments, but to be able to present both and have this kind of intangible organic quality, because I think the ear maybe subconsciously can tell that it's not a synth, it's a cello. So there's that tie into the, the organic quality that just, it just sounds so warm and nice. And I think on a subconscious level, you really feel that. I'm I'm sure of that. Um, you just mentioned synth pads and um, maybe going over to to the next album that's coming out, um, the Cold Embrace of Light yep. with Threads of Fate. I also um, listened to it a couple of times now, and um, this is of course a lot more metal. This album, it's sure. uh, it's uh, it's very symphonic. It's uh, a lot of um yeah epic epic synth stuff on there which re which, which sounds really epic and 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 in in the middle of the album there's like suddenly there's such a fun like opeth hammond yeah. uh, i don't know if you if you, if you know which yeah, part I know, of it. i know exactly <laughs> what you mean yeah um so so is there any is there any favorite uh, synth pads that you that you like to go to or do you just uh on on that album or, or in general in general yeah um let me grab this for a sec so um right there we see on the top that's a moog sub 37 um i love that for like i'll use it for a lot of things it's a monophonic synth so it only plays one note at a time but i like doing a ton of reverb on it and 
it almost creates a ghostly sort of pad effect that I'm very fond of. And then back there, that's a chord prologue that I'm actually selling tonight. But it was documented well on the Nectar album. There's a lot of really lush analog sort of pads on there. And then let me see if I can show you this guy, the Oberheim Matrix. That's from the late 1980s. It's a rack synth that is pretty much preset only, but it has some really, really beautiful of the era sounds that I'm quite fond of as well. So lately I've been really, excuse me, I've been really getting into these kind of analog things. And it's not because like I have an analog fetish in particular. I mean, I, I love all kinds of gear, including soft synths, but I'm, I'm spiritual about instruments. I really, hang on one second. Did, did, uh, did you, I'm getting called by my next guy. So let me tell him <laughs> I need a couple more minutes real quick. Yeah. Eager beaver. Let's see. And of course he's calling me on Skype, which, which never works for me. But anyways, so that, that, that means, I guess we, we, we should wrap this up. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. I don't know. It feels super short, but I mean, this is, this is the you, slot we were given, right? You, 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 you get, you get, a, uh, there's, there's so much you, 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 you want to talk about, right? Uh, you can talk yeah, about sure. And, um, I mean, we touched mostly, mostly on silent skies and, uh, the threads of maybe, maybe a couple of quick words about threads of fate, um, as it's going to be your debut, uh, full length album yeah. with, the, with that band. And, um, maybe you can tell us quickly how this came together and, um, and, and the significance it has for you. Sure. Um, Threads of Fate, it's not really my brainchild. I mean, I, I like the style of music, but to be honest, I'm not really listening to a lot of that kind of music anymore. Um, but the, the singer, uh, a guy named John Pyers, it was his project. And he asked myself and Jack Costo, who I guess is best known for um, Seven Spires, he asked us to, to fill out the lineup and help him make this music happen. We did an EP a few years ago that was fairly well received. And then we dove into a full length, but on the full length album, we had is a little bit more collaborative of a process and Jack and John wrote some songs together. And then I wrote three songs myself. Um, one of which was the first single, the cold embrace of the light, which where I wrote all the music. And then the other one was the one you mentioned with the, with the Hammondy bit, the, what was that song called? I forget what that song's called. It's Horrors a, something. Yeah. Horror. Of, something. horror. Uh, whatever it is. Yeah. I, the, I wrote that song. Um, the Horrors Within. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very Threads of Fate title. But, um, but I'm not, I mean, I love it. It's because it's I don't get to do that with, with any other band that I'm in. I mean, I'm in Redemption and Redemption can be quite heavy, but not like that. Not that kind of like... And on this album, it's almost like a doom metal-y kind of thing at times. We, like, we consciously wanted to try to scale the BPM of the songs way back and <laughs> see what kind of um, emotions arise from making something that is tempo-wise a little bit more ponderous, but keeping it interesting and you know, however we can. So, for instance, that song, Horrors, goes through all kinds of different 
twists and turns. And by the end, it sounds like an emperor song or something with the, with the blast beats and everything, which, <laughs> which I love. I've never gotten to write something like emperor before, but, but that was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, it was just, it's just a way for me to do something different. And, and that's the primary value of working with that music because I'm a big believer in the fact that if you have a certain amount of musical ADHD as some artists do and some don't, but those who do, I think it's, it's beneficial to try to explore some of those sides that maybe you can't do in your, you know, in your musical day job, so to speak, because it's just my opinion. But I think that if you don't do that and you close these other sides of your musicality off, I think there's a danger that it may really affect, you know, your, your main project because maybe your heart's not in it or there are other things you want to do, but you feel like you can't. So it's like that project kind of becomes a prison and then you start resenting it. And, and it's just, it's just awful all around. So I really think it's important to explore those, those other sides that make you who you are. And then the, the core projects become stronger a result too, because you can commit to them fully and you don't have to worry about, Oh man, but I really want to make black metal, then just make black metal somewhere else. You know, it's, it's all good. So I think Wonderful. that's why that project is so fun to me. Wonderful. Uh, it's, it's a great album. Uh, I really like it. And Thank you. Uh, before I let you go, is there anything you can already uh, tease us going further into 2022 um, that you have around the corner, like uh, that we can look forward to? Yeah, man. Um, so aside from guest work of which I'm always quite busy, but to be honest, like we talked about at the beginning, I can't even really keep track of what's coming at any given time, but just for my, my own things, um, redemption will be coming. I, I think it's fair to say this year, um, we're just finishing the very tail end of the mix process right now. So that should be wow. coming if I was to guess in, in the fall, maybe. Um, I was really fortunate to have a much bigger role on this album than I had on the last album, which isn't saying much because I joined the band right at the end of that process. And Nick had already done most of the keyboards for that album. So I kind of just threw in a little ear candy here and there. But on this album, I played all the keyboards. I pushed the kind of orchestral side of the band much further than it, it, they have, I think, on any past releases. Um, I also wrote some original music for the album as well. And there are a couple songs that I'm quite proud of that made the final cut, which is cool because Nick hasn't really had someone do that on a redemption album in the past that I know of, you know, he's, he's kind of been the, the chief songwriter since 2001, but we had the kind of co-writing and co-producing role on this album. So really cool. I mean, it, it was an honor to be involved in that capacity. And I, I think the album is really strong personally. I mean, I've been listening to the band for a long time and I've always liked what they do, but I think this, if I was to try to be objective, which I know I can't, I would say it's probably like top three, at least redemption albums. because it's really, really strong. The performances are great. The atmosphere is really, really strong. I think people who love snowfall on judgment day, for instance, has a very particular atmosphere. And I think the keyboards are a big part of that. Some of that atmosphere is back on this album as well. So, so I think that's, that's really, really cool. Lux Terminus Wonderful. on another note, may, we may have an album done by the end of the year possible. I mean, there's so much going on that 
to be able to find the creative energy to do a project that is so creatively taxing as Lux Terminus because it's such involved music. Um, but but we've been making headway. We have six or seven songs written so far. So hopefully that comes end of the year, may, maybe next year. So that's what's going on in my life. Awesome. Uh, busy as ever. Vikram, it was uh, such a pleasure to talk to you um, yeah, man, and, and, and to, 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 to hear uh, everything about Silent Skies, Nectar, and also a little bit about Threads of Fates, the Cold Embrace of Light. Um, all the best with, you, with all your endeavors. Uh, it's always a pleasure to listen to your music and to listen to your um, elaborate about music. Um, thank you the guys. Out there. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys out there for listening. As always, uh, uh, check out uh, Vikram's socials, check out Silent Sky socials and uh, give them a follow and a like and uh, Threads of Fate as well. Go uh, check out the music. It's awesome. Thanks for listening. Um, don't forget our cup of tea and uh, like, subscribe, comment, everything. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care and keep spreading that prog love. The Prog Talks, produced by the Prog Space. Main host, Runebelsvik Reynos. Produced by Runebelsvik Reynos, Vanessa and Matthias Kirsch. All graphics and animations by Vanessa Kirsch. Intro theme by Giuseppe Negri. Outro theme by Zach Munovitz. This was the Prog Talks by the Prog Space. See you in a week.